Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the opportunity you've given us to gather in your house and be able to study your word. And help us now as we do that. Help us as we get back into the, the writings of the book of Revelation to understand it and apply it in the right way. Thank you oh so much for all of it. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series, we can pick it back up in Revelation chapter 19. And here we see another vision and experience given to John in Revelation chapter 19. And after these things, I heard a great voice of many people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. Now the word Alleluia, also identified as Hallelujah, basically means praise God. As he continues, verse 2, For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. As we've read in 17 and 18 of Revelation about the details of the destruction of the great whore and Babylon. Verse 3, And again they said, Alleluia! And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen, Alleluia! Now these four beasts were the beasts that he had seen with his first revelation as he was looking into heaven and saw them. They had the various faces and the multiple wings and so forth. Verse 5, And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of, men, of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. The word omnipotent here also be almighty, all-powerful. It's just a description of God and His power and authority. When He says, God omnipotent reigneth. Verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Now, the wife is the church, basically the believers. Whether they be Gentiles or Jews, they all come together as the church, as the bride. Married, being combined to, connected to, attached with the Lamb, which is Jesus Christ. So that that's what he's speaking of here as he continues. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Now this righteousness comes from the Lord, and the cleansing comes from him, which makes us that clean and white. And he saith unto me, Write, Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. 
it's not clear exactly who he was talking to here, who he was about to worship. Was John saw this individual and was being given this revelation and all this information, and it clearly puts it here that this fellow is a fellow servant and of thy brethren, which means it's very likely that he was one of the apostles that was given this blessed opportunity to reach out to John at that time, whether it was one of the apostles or whether it was a disciple. But he says that he has the testimony of Jesus. He was right there. He he experienced being in the presence of the Lord. And he says, fellow servant. So it wasn't a, a typical celestial being. This was another person that he was able to experience this with. It continues verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doeth judge and make war. This image is on a white horse that he's seeing. This individual here is Jesus Christ, and the white horse signifying power and authority and purity. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. Now this many crowns, it wasn't physical crowns, it was stacked up that looks like some circus act, but you could also put in here many deities, many authorities, many positions of deity and authority and royalty. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And of course that was his own blood it was dipped in because he shed his blood on that cross for all of us. And his name is called the Word of God. The Word of God. So we know that he is identified as the Word of God because over in the Gospel of John, If you'll turn over there, we can see this account where he's identified as the Word in Gospel of John in chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then jump over to verse 14. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Speaking of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the Word. So once again, identifying the one he's seeing on the white horse as being Jesus Christ. Now we know when he came in to Jerusalem, shortly before his crucifixion, he come in meek and lowly, riding upon that donkey. But now he's coming in as a triumphant king and ruler and judge on a white horse. And back in Revelation chapter 19, verse 14. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. Now these armies are the born-again Christians that are coming with the Lord, basically coming with him and going to be part of the Millennial period. He's coming with him down to his glorious appearing 
at the end of the tribulation time. The armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. Now this sword, speaking of the power of his speech, his words, what he will say, is able to cut asunder. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that he may that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. All right, now over in chapter 16, verse 16, we see, And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. That is what he's speaking of, because we get that kind of an overview given to us in chapter 16, and then back in chapter 19, we see it being fulfilled. So this place where it's taken, this battle gathering together is identified as Armageddon, which is near Megiddo. As it continues back over in verse 20. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. That's the eternal place that they will be. That is the lake of fire. Verse 21, And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceedeth out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. So he spoke the word, and they were all destroyed. Right there at the end of the tribulation. So that's the timeline here of how this is unfolding. I'm giving a little bit more details about that. And then you can see back over in chapter 16 how the Antichrist and the false prophet and Satan spewed out those evil spirits which went out to deceive the people and bring them into this battle up against the Lord here. And they were all destroyed. In chapter 20, Revelation chapter 20 reads, And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now we know earlier we heard about the bottomless pit was being opened up and those scorpions come up out of that pit. So it continues, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Notice he's not cast into hell. He's not cast into the lake of fire yet. 
He's captured and put into a holding cell in this, what he's then defined as the bottomless pit. Verse 3, And cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. Which is very interesting here. Why is he just kept aside for a while and then released? Because this is the beginning part of the millennial period. Now, the millennial period will be inhabited by all of those that have survived the tribulation time that were born-again Christians. And it'll be inhabited by those armies, which are the born-again Christians, that come down with the Lord to establish the millennial kingdom. And during that thousand years, the people that were normal humans that go over into the millennial period are going to continue to have children. So during that thousand years, with the earth being restored to its beauty and its perfection for that short period, the thousand years, there'll be a lot of kids, a lot of kids born. Well, everyone has to make a decision to trust in the Lord or turn against the Lord. So all these people that are be around at that time, at the end of the millennial period, will have to be tempted by Satan to, to turn against the Lord. That's why he'll be loosed for a short season. We're not given the time period of that season, but we know it'll be immediately at the end of the millennial period. They'll all be tempted. At that time, they'll make a decision, follow the Lord or follow Satan. Back over in chapter 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So this is identifying those that are going to be living and reigning with Jesus Christ. Now this judgment here is speaking of, like you go back to the Old Testament, you have the judges of the Old Testament found in the book of Judges. They were those that were given basically supervisory positions, governmental positions to help rule the people help guide the people, instruct the people, and teach the people, and so forth. So many of them will be given those positions, and others will be given normal lives that they live, and bring honor and glory to the Lord, have a bunch of kids, and so forth. There are going to be nations, there's going to be organization, there's going to be civilization for that thousand years. Verse 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished the rest of the dead. This would include all those that had died, they were lost. As well as some that died during the millennial period. Because there'll be people that are living and trusting and believing in the Lord that have normal human bodies that will reach the limit of their lifespan and die. Because it speaks of this in the Old Testament about how a child will die at 120. So 120 years old will be considered a child. That'll be during the millennial period because things are going to be so beautiful and so healthy of an environment to live in, people will live longer. 
Read 5 again. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Those that have part of the first resurrection are those that were born again, that had died, then received their glorified bodies and rule and reign with Jesus Christ for that thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, notice the whole thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog. Now don't get confused when you see the term Gog and Magog here and try to connect that with the battle of Gog and Magog because one has nothing to do with the other except the territory and area in which it's speaking of. Because that's what it's speaking of here, the entire region, the entire area there of Gog and Magog. To gather them together to battle in that area, that'll be this battle, the number of whom is as the sand of sea. Now this battle isn't the battle of Armageddon because the battle of Armageddon has already been fought and that Jesus Christ spoke and wiped all those out. This is the final battle up against the Lord. Of all those that turned against the Lord, there were normal living human beings during the millennial kingdom. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. Now this beloved city is Jerusalem and Jesus Christ has established his millennial kingdom and he sits on the throne there in Jerusalem in that rebuilt temple. It'll be a new temple built on that mount where there's currently a Muslim mosque which will be wiped out and taken away during the battle of Gog and Magog. There'll be a new temple built there and that's where these people are coming in that are going up against the Lord and up against his followers and as notice what happens to all those that go up against him at this time. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Very simple. God just wiped them all out with fire. Because everyone has to die and then be judged. So these are going to die and be judged. They don't go straight into judgment being alive. They get killed, and then they go to judgment, those that are ungodly and antichrist here. Verse 10, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's the final place for Satan and his followers. The lake of fire. Then verse 11, very interesting one here. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. 
books, plural. We've got multiple books. We've got many books mentioned. You have the Book of the Lamb, or also known as the Lamb's Book of Life, which is the record of all born-again Christians. You get your name written in that book when you become a born-again Christian. There's another Book of Life, which is a register of everyone that has come into existence as a human, from conception to birth to their whole life. Their name is written in that Book of Life. Human beings, in other words. The list of all of them is in that book. And then you have books of records. Records of behavior. So all of these are considered at this judgment. Many have misunderstood this judgment as being just the judgment for the lost. That this is where all the lost people get judged and all the Christians were judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, the judgment seat of Christ takes place before the millennial kingdom. So all of those that were born again that didn't die in the tribulation time are not part of the judgment seat of Christ yet. And those that were born again during the millennial kingdom are not part of the judgment seat of Christ. So they have to have their time of judgment. And that would be at the great white throne judgment. So the great white throne judgment includes all of the lost, because they haven't had a judgment at all to this point, and all of the believers that were born again during the tribulation time and during the millennial kingdom. But I would also say that this is a time for the judgment of all of those Christians that served the Lord during the millennial kingdom. Because we will be given rewards for everything that we've ever done for the Lord, that we will roll over into the millennial period and then those multiply over into the eternal state. So everything that we do for the Lord during the millennial kingdom will also be looked at and judged. I believe that will take place at this great white throne judgment. So this judgment is very complex. It's going to be judging everybody in all existence because he said there, which is the book of life. Therefore, the great white throne judgment includes everyone that was ever conceived of all time, born again and lost, so that we can all have a final judgment, so that we can all receive just rewards for all we have done for the Lord or just punishment for what we did against the Lord. Let's go back to verse 12 again so all this flows together. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Notice over and over, according to their works, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Cast into the lake of fire. Therefore, the temporary place, which is known as hell, will be cast into the lake of fire. So that dwelling place will be cast into there, along with all those that were against the Lord, as he says here in verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. See, you get your name blotted out of the book of life, 
when you are found an antichrist and a lost individual. That's how you get your name taken out of that. That's what's speaking of the second death. First death is the physical death. Second death is when your name is scratched out of that book of existence, that book of life. And that anyone who's not found in that gets cast into the lake of fire. So you see, it's complicated when it comes to these ending judgments. The complexity of the judgment of the great white throne has confused a lot of people and they misunderstand and misapply these judgments. But we must all have a time of judgment. We must all stand before the Lord in judgment. There'll be multiple judgments. There'll be judgments that are given to the Christians, which is the judgment seat of Christ. And then there'll be the great white throne judgment. And there are judgments, which are those that come as far as deciding, well, are you a Christian or are you not? That is a form of judgment. And of course, the, the sentences that come upon them according to what they have done, according to their works. Because as it says over there in Hebrews, in Chapter 9 and verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So everyone will die. Death, you got to understand what is death. Death is separation. Life is reconciliation. So when we die, we are separated from what? Died first, you're separated from your body. Second death, you're separated from God and the existence of life completely, never to be before the Lord, not even in a, a judgment, and cast into the lake of fire. First and second death there, and that's what he's speaking of there. So there's a lot ahead for us. There's a lot of opportunities to serve the Lord, a lot of opportunities to, to have more and more works to be judged. And we want to hear those words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. That's what we want to hear. And that's what we all got to look forward to. So let's take advantage of the time that we have to bring honor and glory to the Lord and know that we have so much more ahead of us. Mind-boggling for sure. Beyond what we can understand for sure. But just trust in the Lord and hang on for the ride. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we truly thank you for your word. It's so amazing, the stuff we can learn when we dig into the here, all the little mysteries, and they become clearer and clearer the closer it gets to the fulfillment of that. And help us that are understanding it to share it with others as well. Thank you oh so much for the opportunity for all of it. And thank you for allowing us to be a part of your work. So we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.